What a wonderful time of worship, time in prayer, time to celebrate Mark's decision. Just good to worship together. I am so impressed, too, with some of the parents in here. Brittany, you know, had her hands full with, with the kids and then came up and prayed. Andre played the drums the entire time. <laughs> I mean, with your beautiful daughter on your lap. I don't know how you guys do that. It's amazing. Well, we had known each other for several months by now. We had gone on for five dates and they had gone pretty well. We we're getting to know each other well. And so I thought the next time Beamy and I were going to hang out, I was going to tell her that it is time to take our relationship to the next level. So I had it all planned out. We were going to go on a Sabbath afternoon at the best college in the world, Pacific Union College. We were going to hike out. Got a few, few, uh, yeah, it is because it has places like Inspiration Point. We were going to hike out, those of you who have been there, to Inspiration Point. I thought that was the perfect, romantic, inspiring setting for me to ask her what I was going to ask her. And so the time came after church, we, we changed our clothes, we started walking, and I began, as we started that hike, to get that feeling in my stomach of nervousness. I wondered how it would all go over. Before I knew it, there we were at the lookout point, arm in arm, gazing down at the beautiful valley, and I knew the moment was right. So I turned to Beamy, and I took her hand in mine, looked deep into her eyes, and I said, Beamy, I think it's time for us to update our status on Facebook <laughs> to in a relationship. I'm not kidding. I actually said that to her. There was a serious, awkward silence for a couple minutes. And then I started to ramble. Well, you know, I just think that that's the next step we have to take. We've known each other for some time. We've gone on many dates. We've had a good time together. And I just think it would make it more official. In fact, I've already changed the status on my Facebook page to in a relationship. But I looked at yours this morning and I noticed it still says single. Are we boyfriend and girlfriend or not? Can you update your status to in a relationship? This is back in 2005. Facebook was very new. We used MySpace before that. And so it was like really, I don't know why it was a big deal, but for some reason, it was a big deal for us to change our status on Facebook to in a relationship. To me, that meant something special, something significant in regards to our relationship together. Well, today, family, we are embarking on a new series together on the book of Ephesians. And one of the most important teachings that the Apostle Paul tries to get across to the believers that he writes to in the area of Ephesus is their status as followers of Christ. They are people who live in Christ. In fact, Paul mentions living in Christ more in this letter to the Ephesians than in any other letter he writes. There are many important themes in this book, which we will look at together in the coming weeks, but in Christ is no doubt one of the most important themes for Paul in this letter. And he starts by talking about it right from the beginning when he greets in his letter. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the faithful in Christ, he says. That is your status, Paul reminds them. If they would have had Facebook back in AD 60, I'm sure Paul would have said, please update the status on your profile page to say, in Christ. Because that is how you live. And that status, it means something very special. It means something very significant in regards to your relationship with Jesus. You know, we often talk about inviting Jesus into our lives, which of course is a good concept. There's nothing wrong with that. And of course, we we get a lot of that because God's presence, the Holy Spirit promises to reside in us. We are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? But by and large, Scripture, especially the letters of Paul, doesn't really talk about inviting Jesus into our lives as much as it talks about Jesus inviting us to live in him. When you are in something, that means that you have positioned yourself, united, aligned, committed yourself to that thing. In fact, that is really what Paul is getting at here when he uses this simple preposition in the Greek that is translated as in. It primarily denotes a fixed position in something or some place or some state. Paul is trying to put in perspective what the Christian life and journey is all about. And it is not merely a set of of attractive ideas or a nice avenue to follow. It's not merely believing certain facts or doctrines. It is literally taking up residence in Jesus. Letting his ways become your ways as you have this deep fellowship with him. I like the way New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass, he has an interesting last name, describes this concept in his commentary on Ephesians. He says this, without ignoring the importance of Christ being in us, the neglected idea of our being in Christ is much more significant. If we emphasize only that Christ is in us, we define reality. And Christ is about one inch tall. If we realize we are in Christ, He determines reality and encompasses all we are. For Paul, faith is incorporation into Christ, a fellowship with him that determines life. I think that's well said. In Christ, that's to be the status of our Christian profile. And with that life, living in him comes from some very special and significant things. In fact, the next 12 or 13 verses, Paul proceeds to describe just how special, just how significant it is to have that status in Christ. He starts, maybe you have a similar heading as mine, the blessings of being in Christ. That's what it says in my Bible. So let's read that section of the blessings of being in Christ, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy holy and, and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, and I love this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Wow, living in Christ sounds pretty special. This whole section actually is a doxology, a a time of praise that where Paul is saying, God, I just have to thank you. I have to praise you for all the blessings that come from living in you. In fact, in the Greek, these 13 verses are just one long, continuous sentence. There's no punctuation at all in the Greek. We get that in our English translation. But it's just one long, continuous sentence, as though Paul is so caught up in the wonder of the blessings of Christ, he cannot take a breath. He just keeps writing. keeps writing. So I want to draw your attention to a few of the blessings he points out here. We're not going to be able to talk about all of them. I'd encourage you to go through them again this afternoon and see all of the blessings that come from living in Christ. But I just want to share three of them with you. First, in Christ, we are chosen. Or dare I say, we are predestined. Now, for some of us, that word predestined may not sit very well. Do we believe in in predestination? I'm just repeating back to you what it says in the text. In him we are chosen. In him we have been predestined. Do we believe in predestination? I would say, according to Scripture, yeah. We just have to make sure what we mean by predestination. What does it mean to be predestined by God? That verb in the Greek simply means, that is translated as predestined, pro orizo, simply means marked out beforehand. Any of you out there planners? I I wish I was one. My wife is a wonderful planner. We have a whiteboard in our laundry room that she bought. It was like this thing that she had her heart set on so that she could every single month write down all the appointments, everywhere we were going to be, everything that we were going to do for that month so that we knew what the plan was. I'm so glad I married someone who was a good planner because I'd be lost. Any of you good planners, God is a good planner. He has marked out ahead of time. That's simply what predestination means. Marked out beforehand a plan. And the amazing thing in the text says that God started to mark out, started to formulate this plan a very, very long time ago. Verse 4 says that he chose us before the creation of the world. 
That is significant because the fact that he chose us before the creation of the world shows that this was his divine decision that he freely made without the influence of any of us. That would have been so radical to the people in that time. You see, Ephesus, just to give you a little bit of background, was a very, maybe you know this, very large metropolitan port town. 300,000 people, they estimate, were there. The capital city of the Roman province of, of Asia Minor, where modern-day Turkey is. Very bustling city, a lot of people in and out of there. And it was a place where pagan worship was rampant, particularly to the goddess Diana. Her temple was there. It was considered one of the wonders of the world. And with the pagan gods, they never chose you. They didn't value or care about you that way. You had to make your way to them to get their attention. But the text says before you and I were born, before even the creation of the world, God's attention was on you. What a God. Does that not tell you how much he loves you, how gracious he is towards you and I, that, that his plan was started before even the world was created? So predestined, me, predestined means that God has been marking out a plan, and he started marking that plan out a long time ago, and then we read what the plan is. The plan essentially is for God to have you set apart and to be a part of his family. For he chose us. I love that there is a lot of sound of life in the church this morning, the kids. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for what? For adoption to sonship. That doesn't mean that it's only guys that get that. Ladies, you're included in that too. Through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. What a promise. He has marked out a plan for us to be holy, set apart, to be adopted into his family from long ago. You know, in Roman culture, Roman society, they had this amazing view of adoption. It wasn't really part of Jewish culture, ironically, but Paul is using an example from Roman culture to, to illustrate what God has planned for them. And I'd like to describe it to you in William Barclay's commentary on Ephesians. He says this, when the adoption was complete in Roman society, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son of his new family and completely lost all the rights of his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they were never, as if they never existed. God has predestined for you and I to be new creations, adopted as his son and daughter, indistinguishable from anyone who has, who has always been a part of his family, where all our debts are forgiven. What a plan. Now, does this mean that we have no choice, that we have no free will, that God is choosing who gets to be adopted and who doesn't? Of course not. He can't be doing that because the Bible also says that it is his will that none should perish and that all would come to repentance, right? That's what God's will is. 
What he has predestined is the opportunity for you and I to be able to come to repentance. Maybe more simply stated, predestination does not mean that your salvation is determined. It means that God was determined to do everything he could to save us. And when we choose to live in Christ, we get to benefit from that plan he marked out for us so long ago. We get to be adopted as his own, our debts forgiven. Which leads us nicely into the second blessing I want to bring to your attention. In Christ, we have redemption. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The term redemption has its roots in the Old Testament idea of the covenant and in the language of the ancient marketplace. In both instances, it involved the idea of purchasing or buying back some item or person that would otherwise be lost, taken prisoner, or destroyed. And in the first century Hellenistic world, that, that word redemption had, had a similar type of meaning. It was primarily used in connection with the purchase of a slave's freedom. I know you know this. I know you've heard it a thousand times, but I think it's worth repeating a million times. Jesus has paid the price for your redemption. He had, Jesus has paid the price for your redemption to set you free from the slavery of sin. One of the biggest blessings of living in Christ is living in the assurance that Jesus has paid it all. How does the song go? Jesus has paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus has paid for you. I heard a similar phrase recently, a few weeks back, in a drive-thru at Starbucks, which I find myself in way too often. Not that long ago, I, I, I was there and I placed my order and waited for the car in front of me to go to the window and get their order that they had placed and drive off. And then when it was my turn to go up to the window, took out my, my phone app because, you know, I go there so often, I got to rack up the, the stars, you know, to get rewards. Put my phone up for them to charge my account, and she waved my phone away. And she said, those nice people in the car ahead of you, they have paid for your drink. Wow, I, don't, I didn't know who those people were, but I can tell you, they have to be Christians of the highest caliber. <laughs> well, then the Starbucks barista wasn't finished. She went on and say, in fact, they paid for more than enough for your order, and she waved a $20 bill in her hand. Well, my drink costs less than $5. So I did what any good pastor would do, looked in my rearview mirror, looked back at the attendant, and I ordered $15 worth of food. <laughs> Nobody else was behind me. But you know what I did not do? You know what I did not do? I did not refuse the gift. What I did not do was dismiss the act of grace. I simply and very gratefully accepted it. God wants us to do the same. God wants us to do the same. I invite you to let his grace wash over you that he has lavished on you. I love that phrase 
from Paul for, to your glorious grace. Will you let his grace be glorious in your life? Let it flow over you like a cleansing cascade, flushing out all your guilt and shame because Christ has paid for you with his very life. When you live in Christ, you are also redeemed. One more blessing for you. In Christ, you are sealed. Verse 13. I know we're skipping a few other blessings in Christ, but we're going to just go to this one. In Christ, you are sealed. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... See, we, we've, we've got the implication of choice here, of free will here. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. I love this line. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Oh, when you live in Christ, you are sealed by his presence. Seals were used in the ancient world in ways that are similar to the way we use it today. Cargo was sealed before shipping. Letters were sealed to guarantee the validity of the contents. And primarily what a seal conveyed was authenticity and ownership. And what does it say in the text that seals us? The Holy Spirit. God's presence is the seal given to believers to verify that they belong to him. Isn't that good news? Now, it can be tempting. It can be tempting to make the seal of God be something else. And sometimes we have implied that other things are the seal. Really, really good things, like Sabbath. I love Sabbath. It's my favorite gift that God gave me. I love Sabbath. I love the rest it brings at about 1 o'clock on Sabbath. Love the rest it brings. It has been, Sabbath has been the most vivid and powerful illustration in my life. I'm being very sincere about this. The most vivid and powerful illustration in my life that I am not saved by works but by the grace of God. There are a lot of blessings that Sabbath brings to my life, but that's the biggest one by far. It teaches me over and over again, I cannot outwork God. I just have to rest in the work he has done. We have to be careful not to take our best illustration of grace and let it lead us into a lifestyle of legalism. We can't let our best illustration of grace do that. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, period. The Spirit is also a deposit. The Greek word says here that it is a deposit which indicates a down payment guaranteed for complete payment. In other words, the Spirit is God's first installment on our salvation and the guarantee that the full future inheritance will be delivered. Oh, when you live in Christ, you get the blessing of his presence, of his Holy Spirit sealing you, guaranteeing you that he's good for it when he comes again. In his book called The Dance of Hope, Bill Frey tells a story of a blind student named John whom he tutored at the University of Colorado 
way back in 1951. One day, Bill asked John how he had become blind. The sightless student described an accident that had happened in his teenage years. The tragedy took not just the boy's sight, but also his hope. He told Bill, I was bitter and angry with God for letting it happen, and I took my anger out on everyone around me. I felt that since I had no future, I would, lift a fing- I would not lift a f- finger on my own behalf. I'd let others wait on me. I shut my bedroom door and refused to come out except for meals. His admission surprised Bill because as he worked with John, he knew that he was not a kid who was bitter or angry. So he asked him, well, explain to me what changed in your life because you're not that way now. And John said, I credit that to my father. Weary of the pity party and ready for his son to get on with his life shortly after the accident occurred, John's father reminded the boy, we don't have to do this in California, but in in Ohio we used to do this. He reminded the boy of the impending winter and told him to go mount the storm windows. Do the work before I get home or else, the father said. And he slammed the door on the way out. John couldn't believe that his dad would ask him to do such a task, and he reacted in anger and muttered and and cursed and groped all the way to the garage as he tried to fumble around to find uh, the windows, the stepladder, and the tools for the work. Went back inside, tried his best to do the job, and thought to himself, they'll be sorry. They'll be sorry when when I fall off the ladder and break my neck. But he didn't fall. Little by little, he inched around the house and finished the chore. The assignment achieved the dad's goal. John reluctantly realized he could still work and begin to reconstruct his life. Years later, he also learned something else about that day. And when he shared this detail with Bill, his blind eyes started to mist up. I later discovered, John said, that at no time during the day when I did that chore had my father ever been more than a few feet from my side. Your heavenly Father has no intention of letting you fall either. You can't see him, but he is there. He doesn't want you living in fear. He wants you living in peace, knowing that you are sealed if you have chosen to live in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says this beautiful few verses, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What an intriguing statement. Deep within you, God's spirit is confirming that you belong to him. Beneath the vitals of the heart, God's presence is whispering, you are mine. I bought you and sealed you. You do not need to live in fear. Family, after hearing just a few, just a few of the blessings, I hope you have come to realize what the best status is for your life profile. I hope you choose to live in Christ.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the friend that you are to us, that you invite us to, to live in you, Lord, to take up residence with you, to make us a new creation, to redeem us. Lord, there's, there's just so many blessings, so many benefits to living in you. We touched on just a few, but thank you, Lord, for being the loving and gracious God you are, that you would invite us, that you would make a plan to be able to have us be living as new people in you. May we always commit to having that be the status of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.